To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So on today's show, I have on Jaden Bales. Well, actually, Jaden Bales has me on his show. Uh, Jaden Bales, he uh, uh, runs the Muley Monday on the Rich Outdoors. Uh, so they had me on their podcast this last spring. We had such a great in-depth conversation about mule deer that I also wanted to release it to you guys. So uh, they had me on their podcast. It's all about mule deer. Jaden Bales, uh, he's so passionate about hunting mule deer. He's such a student of the game. He just asks great questions, which lead to great conversations all about in-depth hunting mule deer. So, uh, he's a great guy. I really like him. I'm going to continue to have him on the show and uh, uh, to bring you these in-depth conversations. Man, did I enjoy this one, and I'm sure you guys will too. I want to thank my sponsors for today's show. I want to thank Everly Stock. So, I've been using Everly Stock for the last few years, and it seems like they have a pack that fits every different need. So, uh, I really enjoy using their kite pack as it's ultra lightweight, sticks close to my back, I can hunt with it on, and, and it's used as a day pack, but I can also get a game animal out if I harvest one. And, and really, this kite pack, it's so lightweight and it hunts so well that if I'm going in for an overnighter or a two-dayer, I can usually get it all in this kite pack. I use their little big top for smaller expedition style trips. Uh, so doing a, a two dayer to a five dayer, I can get everything in this little big top, packs the weight really well, and uh, everything I need for a hunt. Uh, for the longer style hunts, uh, I really like using this destroyer pack. Uh, it really packs the weight tight to my back and it packs it tall. And so it really keeps the weight uh, all in the right place on my back. Uh, again, all these packs are, are super durable. They pack a lot of weight. Uh, they're comfortable, great hip belt, uh, and, and fit a good price point as well. Uh, they also have their Vapor Series packs that comes on the the, the uh, frame that they sell. So this has been a game changer for me. You can get a 2500 a 5,000 cubic inch, or a 7,500 cubic inch. Uh, packs the weight really well. It's got a meat shelf in the back, and um, it's it's super lightweight and minimalist pack design. So if you're in the market for a new pack, make sure to go check out Everly Stock. I also want to thank Outdoor Edge. Outdoor Edge makes replaceable blade knives. Uh, they're, they're built with a, a stronger blade where you can really put some force on it, but super sharp, replaceable razor blades. Uh, I do all my butchering with these, and I can break down a deer or an elk just with one knife, no bone saw. Uh, it, it just makes the butchering process uh, easier with a sharp knife where you don't have to force things or push things. Um, so it's a great knife. Make sure to check it out at Outdoor Edge. I also want to thank Zamberlin. Uh, Zamberlin is coming out with a bunch of new offering for these lightweight shoes that I like. So they they have a different boot or a different shoe for every different preference, but I really like these, these mountain shoes. They're built with a Vibram sole. They're under two pounds a pair. Uh, last year I used the Saluth. 
Uh, and this Saluth is just a great boot. It's a uh, it's built under two pounds. Uh, it's got a Gore-Tex waterproof membrane. Uh, just an, uh, an amazing shoe. And this year they have some new offerings. So I'm just breaking these in and trying them out, and I really like them. The, the 217 Free Blast GTX is another great shoe. I think that's what I'll be hunting in this year. Uh, they also have a, uh, uh, an Anabasis short gtx 220 these are under two pounds as well gore-tex just an amazing shoe and then they have a bunch of of lightweight boots as well low cut boots that um, i'll use on gnarlier mountain hunts and so uh, i've been using the 320 trail light evo gtx it's a low cut boot and it also has a gore-tex waterproof membrane and comes in at under three pounds a set and like I say, they have every different boot for every different preference. Just a great fit. Uh, they don't cut any corners as far as craftsmanship, quality of materials. They test every Gore-Tex booty in a in a uh, water to make sure that it doesn't leak. And and I've never had boots that keep their waterproof capabilities as long as a Zamberlin. Super impressed by these things. If you're in the market for some new boots, make sure to go check them out. Okay, over at Eastman's. Um, we're keeping busy. We're going to release a, a bunch of these new uh, uh, Beyond the Grid episodes here in July. I'm super excited. I hear that they've got uh, three of my episodes all edited down and can't wait to see how that comes out. Uh, I know Dan Picard is uh, in the, the final stages of putting together uh, this Muley online school. It's it's going to be uh, uh, the most extensive collection of mule deer hunting from start to finish where uh, you guys can get um, improve your muley hunting skills no matter where you sit on the scale whether you're beginner whether um, you're an experienced muley hunter it, it's going to be hours of, of great content and it's put together with videos and and put together with um, uh, like you can read through it like a book with pictures uh, there's going to be a podcast element to it. Uh, it's just absolutely awesome. Uh, can't wait to see how it comes together. So we'll be releasing that soon, I believe in July. Uh, so you guys can check that out as well. Uh, make sure to, to um, check out our Eastman's Tag Hub. It's our internet research tool. Uh, you can put the promo code in there. Brian will save you uh, 20% on it. Uh, it's just a, a, a great collection of statistics and, and and really it's helped me learn these western states it's just a great research tool uh, it's compiled of 500,000 data points uh, just an amazing program so if you guys are in the market for that make sure to check that out as well and um, we'll be speaking live this summer uh, we've got um, some dates coming up here uh, let me look it up here. I know we're speaking at uh, Fieldcraft Survival and Black Rifle Coffee Company. Um, we're going to be uh, down in um, Herber City, Utah. So that takes place in July. And you can buy tickets uh, for that on um, on Fieldcraft Survival and come and see us speak live. I'll be speaking down there. Dan Picard will be speaking. Uh, we did this event last year. It just went great. Just trying to get you guys all the pertinent information to make you better Western hunters. And I believe the dates for that are going to be um, July 20th at Fieldcraft Survival and July 21st. Uh, so you can get your tickets for that as well. Um, and with that, 
Man, it's an awesome podcast with Jaden. So I'm a guest on his podcast, but replaying it on our feed here so you guys can check it out. And make sure to go check out Jaden on that Muley Monday podcast. With that, let's get into it. I'm your host, Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Oh, pretty good. Uh, how's my audio sound? Is it a little loud? Um, uh, maybe a touch, but it sounds crystal clear. Oh, that's good. Oh, there we go. My gain thing was a little too high. Here. Gotcha. Sorry it's uh, it's it's always something. Uh, you got to be a dang near computer programmer to get all the recording stuff figured out <laughs> day in day out. Oh man, it's so true. Do you have to do your own editing? Yes, I do. How about you? Uh, no. I Cody's got some system set up. Um, that he's been running since the dawn of time. So <clears throat> luckily I just sent him the files. <laughs> oh, you know, it's not too bad, really. It doesn't take too much time. Um, and I'm so dialed on, I think, like seven years of doing the podcast that I can get through them pretty quick. Unless there's an audio challenge. I had uh, one the other day where I had an echo coming from their computer that took me oh, for no. like two hours to get it all edited and sounding right so uh it, if it goes like it should it doesn't take me long but every once in a while i have a challenge oh man i can imagine and you know you're already working on such a short time margins you know jeez oh um hey I, instead of instead of doing the full like um uh i'm gonna do a normal introduction here for you in just a moment but i think instead of going to like Hi, I'm Brian Barney. I'm from X and I do Y and like all that stuff. I uh, we're, We'll just dive right in when we get going. Sound good? Yep. Sounds like a plan. Awesome. All right. I'll let it rip here in just two seconds. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Muley Monday. This is your host, Jaden Bales. Um, it's February. It's cold. And I'm so excited for next season already. So if we could just turn the heat up a little bit and uh, and and get to hunting season, I'd be I'd be ready for it. Um, and to get you ready for it as well, I've got on one of one of my favorite guys to listen to on a podcast. One of my um, I told him this once already. Like I'm a disciple of his methodologies and his work in the mule deer world, and uh, I'm just super excited to bring him to you guys on this podcast today. And that's Brian Barney. Brian. Thank you for hopping on. Oh, thank you. Uh, uh, super excited to connect with you again. Like our, our last uh, Muley conversation was so good. Like you're just a diehard like I am. So looking forward to it. Well, that, and that's what like I, I kind of alluded to is like, man, I've gotten a lot of really great information from you uh, over the years. Uh, you, you know, right before we kind of started here, uh, you said you've been doing the Eastman's Elevated Podcast for what, seven years now? Yeah, seven years. Yeah, time's flown by for sure. Oh, that's awesome. How much? How much do you think uh, your hunting has evolved or changed, or the hunting world around you has changed since then? Man, um, you know, I, I think the the world around me has definitely changed, but it's like the key is to keep adapting and evolving with it, and I think I've done that, and it's definitely. Uh, upped my game, like talking to other successful hunters and and comparing and contrasting like uh, uh, different thoughts and ideas on muley hunting. But you know the good news is is there's still 
great opportunity out there. Like, uh, it, it is the good old days right now. Like, those bucks that we dream about, the, the wide ones, the tall ones, deep forks, extras, like, those are all out there in, in a bunch of different habitats to hunt. We just have to keep ad- adapting and evolving with the times to find that epic hunting. But, man, it's out there. Oh, man, I that's and, and that's so my mentality with it, because I just would way rather go out and have fun every year and be excited about the hunts you get to do than than sit here at, at home and, and wish you could go somewhere. So what uh, how how are you approaching your kind of whole application stuff right now? Because I know that everyone and their dog talks about it, but I like your approach based on what I've heard. Yeah, so um you know, I, I really believe that that um, experience is the best teacher out there. And so, you know, we are in the information day and age where you learn from other people. You know, there's podcasts and writing and, and you know, there there's different programs on the Internet that you can get into. And, and it definitely helps like the the research. But for me, like experience is the best teacher. So getting out there and finding hunts that I can do year in and year out and you know, a lot of these units that I've fallen in love with hunting, you know, I've just accepted that I'm not going to get a chance to hunt them anymore because the point creep has got up there. And so I just look for new and better places. And so, you know, my tag strategy, I run like about a three to five year tag strategy, but the majority of hunts that I do are going to be zero to three point hunts. And so uh, if a, if a hunt starts to get a point creep and starts to get up there in six, seven points, I just start to look for new areas and, and it's just part of the process for me. Like I, uh, I study and research these units and then go and give them my all. And, you know, uh, sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't, but I learn from it and cross that one off the list and move on to the next one. And it's amazing, like how much good hunting is out there. Like there is good quality hunting in all the Western states in multiple hunting units. And, And it seems like if I let uh, kind of experience dictate where I'm going to head and where I'm going to go, I can usually find pretty decent hunting and good quality bucks and, and have a legit chance at filling my tag. Well, and, and I will say it's not just filling your tag. It feels like for you, it, it like you shot, uh, and this was Scott Reekers who told me about this, but what, have you shot three bucks over 200? Yes. Uh, the magic, you, the, yep. the magic mark. Yep. But it's, <laughs> it's been a while since I've harvested one of those big ones, but uh, it, it hasn't been for lack of effort. Like I've definitely located uh-huh. some great bucks and you know, it's, it's funny, like of the three that I've harvested over 200, like I have a bunch of bucks over 180 inches, but, but of those bucks that I've harvested over 200, like for every one I've harvested, there's probably three or four that get away. Like, it's just, uh, (laughs) it's such a challenging endeavor. Like I say it all the time. It's like the toughest challenge on planet earth to find one of these mature bucks, harvest it with a bow and arrow, which is my, uh, a weapon of choice. And so like, like it's difficult. It's a challenge. And so what that does is it, it like keeps me working at all facets of my game to, to make sure I'm prepared for this next season. So when I do find that quality buck that I, that I, that I want to harvest, like I give myself the best chance to harvest them. And so like I'm constantly improving my game and improving all facets of my game. And that goes for physical fitness. That goes for intelligence. That goes for, for, for glassing. That goes for, uh, my, my shooting abilities, my ability to, to stay calm and be clutch when I get a chance, when I get a stock. And so, um, you know, it, it's just a fun, 
a fun game or fun endeavor or passion that I've found uh, where I just never stop working at it or I never run out of drive or fuel for the hunt, just trying to be ready for next season because I know, you know, next season I'm going to have multiple hunts and for muleys I'll hunt the early season and and then I'll kind of go into hunting elk a little bit and then start hunting the, the pre-rut and then hunt the rut hard. And I know throughout those seasons – I'm going to locate some great bucks that I do anything that I want to harvest. So it just keeps my, um, uh, my running shoes on and, and, um, hitting these trails and like just making sure that I'm ready for it because, uh, uh, I know there's some great bucks out there. Oh man. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, I just was talking to my brother. Um, he's coming out for a mule deer hunt here in Wyoming. It's, it's just near uh lander. It's not like some high country, crazy hunt. But it was like, you know, we're sitting here in, in late January and February talking about like how much uh, vertical, what his goal for vertical in 15 minutes should be, you know, and like just working on like the fitness aspect. And I just picked up a, a hinge release the other day and I'm screwing with that. And uh, man, it's just it's such a good it's it's so cool to hear about like how you're always improving. Like even a guy like like who all the rest of us are trying to like, you know, uh, maybe end up with as many really nice bucks on the wall as you you have like you're always improving and that's so like that's so important um Jim, man, one you, of the things you got yeah? the sickness that's uh that's why i like talking to you so much like you got <laughs> that same passion for it you know uh, uh preparing yourself and it's it it like requires complete dedication and commitment to uh to be successful in this game and, and even then it's it doesn't ensure success but it sure gives you a better chance at it absolutely man and one of the things that I have noticed about your style, though, is like – so even though you've taken some monster bucks, you don't necessarily um, – you don't necessarily stop chasing nice mature deer, um, whereas some other guys who have been hunting for a long time, maybe they stop – maybe they stop shooting bucks and they're like, oh, I'm only a, a 200 bus guy, right? Like uh, there's there's quite a few people like the, the – um, Jason Carter's of the world who like will not punch tags. What uh, what do you think it is about like chasing mule deer that that keeps you going after them and, and doesn't make you stop like uh, stop stop getting in close and, and putting arrows through them? Yeah, the 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 fun for me the the thrill of the chase. Like I love bow hunting. I love trying to get close. And so like I I think we all just build this line that we're gonna be happy with. And so for me like um. You know, shooting a, a small three-point or small four-point doesn't really do it for me anymore. But if I can find a mature mule deer that's heavy and that's old, like, that gets me excited. And it doesn't take a 200-incher a to get me excited. And a, and a lot of these units across the West, like, uh, we have to be realistic, too. Like, our our, our goals have to match our opportunity. And if, if I'm only hunting those, those giant bucks, then I'm not hunting – uh, uh, mule deer to my fullest or I'm not hunting them you know there's places that I that I've fallen in love with like my home state of Montana and eastern Montana where I hunt during a general rifle season with my bow and arrow and and there's some chances at some great bucks but really the 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 high end they're like out east 
like a, a big mature prairie mule deer if it goes 160 inches and he's heavy and has mass like man i am pumped to go chase that buck and so like like i've just fallen in love with the species and with hunting mule deer and for me like the the thrill is to hunt them and to get a stock like that's the price of admission to to stock in with my bow and try to outspart that muley and so um for me, it just doesn't have to be an absolute giant to get me excited. Now, there are hunts that I do where I know I'm going to have the opportunity at those giant deer, and then my goals uh, tend to meet those opportunities where I've killed enough mule deer, I know I have enough hunts, like, I can really hold out for a great big one in, in like, the high country of Colorado or, like, you know, some of these places that produces them consistently where I've seen them, I know they exist in there, you know, I'll set my goals a little bit higher, but... But um, for me, I just love to hunt mule deer, and I love to hunt mature mule deer. And, you know, like if a 160 buck doesn't get you excited, like you you better check your pulser. I guess we're all in it for different <laughs> yeah, reasons, yeah. but but that type of buck just still gets me excited, and I still love to chase them. And, and so, like... Like for me, it's just a good mature buck that I that I'm gonna be happy with, and I I definitely you know we all find that line of of what we're gonna be happy with and what we're not, and I've learned throughout the years that I'm only gonna arrow a buck that I'm completely psyched with, or I don't don't need to go arrow him. But for me, that line does seem to be. Uh, a little bit lower now if i find a great big buck you know then i can kind of set my sights on the higher but like if i'm hunting and i find a 180 190 inch buck well then i might pass that opportunity to 160 because i know he's there and i know i can hunt him and i'll put all my effort into that buck uh but you know i kind of go in with an open mind like knowing what i'm going to be happy with and, and what type of buck i'm looking at and looking for and then i just go hard and um uh, see what's living in there, and then um, kind of have that uh, uh, meet my expectations. Oh, that's awesome! I I love that, and that <clears throat> that's why I kind of say like I would rather be in your camp, just because it's like, man, the stock is just so fun, and like getting in there and, and like making moves, you know, when you're trying to be silent. That's just that's my favorite part. What's uh what what's the part of the stock that like you just can't get enough of? You would do it over and over and over again. Is it finding the deer? Is it is it, you know, sneaking up and, and trying to shoot him in his bed? What's your like favorite part that you just live for? Yeah, I mean I, I really think it's all of the above. Like I definitely like get this dose of adrenaline covering miles when I when I find a good buck through my scope. Uh, I definitely like 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 planning and plotting the stock. But if I was to put my finger on it, it it's in close. It's like um there there's this moment where I go all in, where I decide that that this is the buck I want. I'm gonna make a play. He's in a good spot. Like here we go. Like uh, uh, taking my pack off. You know, uh, uh, starting to close in. Like inside that that hundred yards or inside that 125 where where the where the 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 chess match intensifies. You know, these these mule deer have such great instincts. Like evolved thousands of years from avoiding mountain lions, and so. Like, it's never a given, and it's almost like matching wits with them. And inside that that 125, 150 yards, 100 yards, whatever the case is, uh, it, it just like um, – uh, those are the moments that I live for, those adrenaline-filled moments of trying to make the right moves. And there's a, 
a hundred right decisions that I have to make to put myself into range. Uh, but I, I just love it. Like that's, that's why I'll drive across the country. That's why I train so hard. That's why I shoot so much is for those moments when I have a target buck and, and I get that, you know, I'm, I'm making that last final approach and trying to get all my footfalls, right. Trying to use my cover, like just immersed in the stock. Like it's the only thing I'm thinking about. And, and in those moments, you work so hard for them. It's so much training and then so many miles, so much gas money, so, uh, filling up the cooler like uh, or backpacking in or whatever the case is. There's so much that leads up to this moment to get a stock. And when I get that stock, like that to me is worth the price of admission. That's what fires me up. That's what I'm chasing year in, year out on every hunt I do. Oh, that's so exciting. Dude, I'm, I'm so pumped right now. I, I've just been thinking about all of the different things that that I'm excited for this season. What uh, What is like your your picture perfect stock that you've been like you've been on and executed? Like tell tell a story of like one of these that's just been like you're like if I could do that every time, that is the that is the textbook of archery hunting. Yeah, like um as I think it's like a a tough question to answer. Like I always uh-huh. love getting a mule deer in a in a great spot, making a play, executing my stock, executing my shot. But is like you ask that question, I start thinking back to last season, and I think, oh, was that a perfect stock? And I think, no, no, that wasn't it. No, that wasn't it. And, you know, I harvested um, not even like three or four good bucks last season. Uh, but yeah. as I think back, you know, it's it's almost like adapting to the situation you're given. It's like you can make the best laid plans for how you're going to kill that buck. But really, it's finding them in a good spot and moving in. And then it it never quite goes as planned as I approach, you know, the the the, the buck may move or may go up. So like as I as I just run through last season, I run through the early season and, you know, I had a textbook play on a buck that I had moved in into the shadows and I had at 34 yards that I could sit there and I just couldn't sneak an arrow into his vitals. So I sat there kneeling and I sat there for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, a doe got up and walked 15 yards from me. And there I am. And I'm crouched and I'm waiting for my opportunity. Buck doesn't know I'm there. And, and uh, I feel a tap on my back shoulder and it's my cameraman. And so I slowly like duck my head out and I turn back around to him and he goes, can you see the buck? And he had just seen the buck, you know, when we were closing in 10, 15 yards, but he's positioned like over my back shoulder. So he's ready with the camera and, and I'm so focused on the stock and and so he asked me if I can see the buck, and I said, yeah, the buck's right here. He's 34 yards. When he stands, we're going to shoot him. And um, he goes, okay, I'm ready. And and um, as I, I duck my head back around and I come back up, I watch that buck's head swing in my direction, and he <laughs> sees me right then and there, sees me getting back my head into my position behind my bow ready to shoot, and then the whole scenario blows up, and it's done. And this is like a – a multi-mile, multi-thousand-foot stock. Like this is a stock that most guys would look at and go, "No way, am I going way over there?" Like, yeah. but but we went for it, and we're we're now miles away from camp, and it blew up in our faces as it does now. That time, maybe it was the cameraman tapping on the shoulder, but I'm sure I screw up stocks too, and we're a, we're a team member. You know, there's no blame had. Yeah. It's just mule deer hunting, and so that stock fell apart. So that was a perfect stock. That fell apart in the end, but but really on that hunt, I kept grinding. We kept putting on miles, and and um, 
we woke up the next day and we're tired from all this elevation and exertion and multiple day effort. And uh, we wake up and it's just like, man, we've got to put this effort in again today. We've got to make the ridge. We've got to travel miles on this ridge and we got to go find another buck. And in the end, found a buck. Uh, and we actually found him in the afternoon came, coming out feeding, and, and we stalked all the way down this creek and then uh, able to come out of the creek and surprise these bucks. They didn't know we were there and then put a perfect shot on this buck. But it, it wasn't a perfect stock. It was almost like just adapting to the conditions I was given. Once I see that it's a high percentage stock, I went for it. And as I think back last, last season, like like none of them went perfect. Like they all like like had these, these – um, these moments where you kind of had to just adjust to the situation you're given, like um, my, my late season buck, you know, I, I made a couple different moves and hunted that buck for, for, for two, three hours of making moves around him before I was finally able to cut off the herd and got a good broadside stock on that buck. But I wouldn't call it like this methodical planned out play. It was like a buck that was rutting does that I moved with, that I kept the element of surprise until he finally got in the right spot where I was able to use the topography to pop up and get a shot. So, so much of this game it isn't like a, a perfect scenario or a perfect situation. It's just keeping the element of surprise, continuing to hunt, and then looking for that opportunity to close and capitalize and then putting a good shot on that buck. So as I think back to last season, like it was never perfect, but it it was perfect in the end. Like it worked out. Yeah. Like I just and all of these hunts I had to absolutely grind. From that early season I told the story at, the late season I, I had uh, four or five stocks. I had a miss on a buck. I hit a limb at 50 yards on a great buck trying to shoot through this window in the Aspens. And then, like, I had this encounter with this buck I had been chasing that I wanted to kill, and he was rutting one doe, and I snuck into the meadow, and all of a sudden I had him, and they were working away from me at 50 yards and went down into the bottom of the meadow, and then this doe brought this buck right back by me, 40 yards broadside, and I kneeled there with my cameraman in a foot and a half, two feet of snow, my bow and arrow. I've been grinding for days. Here's the buck I want, and he's at 40 yards, and I go to try to draw my bow when he's broadside, and that doe picks me up, bolts out of there, and the whole thing blows up and it, it's oh. no good and in hindsight i should have let that doe carry that buck by me even though he was 40 yards broadside let them get by me a bit where they don't catch the movement of me drawing my bow and i stick a good quartering away shot in that buck and so i just kicked myself in fact i i looked right into the camera i was i was so like i usually i can accept failure and i can accept defeat and i move on but i was so frustrated i looked right in the camera and dropped the hugest f-bomb right looking into the <laughs> camera with eye contact which i hope which i hope makes the video because it it shows the frustration and all the effort we were putting in and i finally had the encounter i was looking for and it was gift wrapped to me and i screwed it up but they kept grinding and then ended up arrowing a great buck with an extra that's super heavy. That And, and it seems like that's what muley hunting is to me. You know, it is the grind. And, and it's it's like uh, uh, just adapting to the situation I'm given. And I don't stalk recklessly, but I do stalk aggressively where I'm trying. If I see 
a move I can make or a play where I think I can get into range, I'm going to give it a try and give it a chance. And I'm, I'm not going to stock till failure till I bust that buck. Like a lot of times I'll get held up at 100 yards or 150 yards and I just have to wait for the right opportunity to present myself. But I, I just love being in that moment, being able to adapt to the situation I'm given and then just grinding, like uh, just grinding out. And eventually it just seems to come together for me. Dude, that's so encouraging because, gosh, I, and for so many years, so the very first deer I killed um, with my bow was like he bedded underneath a giant rock with perfect wind, and I snuck up and got an arrow in him at like 18 yards. It was like just textbook. I did that before like 9 a.m. that morning or 10 a.m. that morning, and I've been searching for that textbook, uh, that textbook example like ever since. It has not happened. Like it doesn't. It doesn't exist. I don't think. And so it's encouraging for like you to be like. I mean, yeah, you can get in and like, you know, all of the things can be right. But then as soon as you think that like, you know, you've got it in the bag, like something blows up. You know, whether that's the doe picking you up or like your cameraman tapping you, and you kind of you, you get distracted for a moment. Like it, anything can happen when you're in there. Um, and the other thing is, uh, I, I get. I'm guilty of getting into this mindset of like, oh, it's got to be perfect every time. And like last year's buck, like, um, was a situation where I, you look at it and, and I'm sure Brian, like if you had seen this situation, you would just start drooling. It was like these deer are bedded underneath rocks and, uh, on an east facing or a west facing slope. So the sun is going to be hitting it all day long. Um, and they just, you know, the, the biggest buck is at the top and you're just like, oh my goodness, this is, how can you screw it up? And then the deer walks out and I missed my shot after sitting there for like four hours. Um, and, and then you shoot him and then you get your follow-up opportunity and you shoot again and then that, you know, and then you strike pay dart. And it just, I have not seen it like happen perfectly. And so it's encouraging when, when you hear like someone who's just so practiced, like you just like, like, it doesn't happen perfectly. It's always a grind. What, um. Man, do you still get buck fever? Yeah, um, absolutely. Like, um, you know, what's it's... it what's it look like for you? Do you do you shake real good and like forget? Like, so this this year, for instance, I was like, oh, he's he's coming out, he's quartered away, and I was like, he's standing at my thirty yard rock. But in reality, I just should have rearranged him because he was at like you know thirty four yards instead of my twenty nine yard rock. Um, that's what happens to me is I just lose my brain. How does it? What's it look like for you? Yeah, so like um I definitely get a dose of adrenaline when I know I'm going to get to stock or I know like when I find a buck through my scope, I almost start shaking and like I'm not sure if it's the cold or if it's my adrenaline, but I know sitting here at my computer like it's my adrenaline starting to go and I start to get a little shaky, you know, and so like like I get this dose of adrenaline, but then I do um it seems like I've got to get a stock under my belt that year. And so like like hunting Hawaii for axis deer like last july you know that kind of gets me ready and gets me into bow range and close and making things happen antelope season does that for me which usually opens august 15th or even like these mule deer seasons like i get i may get nervous on the first one and when when i get nervous or buck fever like I, i'm starting to move in and like i i almost get a bit shaky with my footfalls or uh like I, i'm just like a little bit ramped up 
And mm-hmm. um, it seems like after I can get a stock under my belt, like it starts to feel pretty normal. And, and then I'm pretty calm and cool and collect in those moments of, of moving in. And, and, and it just almost feels natural. And so I, I, I all of a sudden I don't have shaky foot on footfalls. Like I don't, you know, I'm not nervous at the shot. I know I'm going to execute and do my job. Um, you, you're right. Adrenaline almost puts you in a fog or in a cloud with your decision-making process. And so you don't make as clean or as good a decisions when you're under that fog of adrenaline when you're all amped up. But, you know, being there enough times, like I, I do get ramped up, but it, it almost feels normal for me where – uh, I'm stalking this buck, and I'm excited to have the chance and and the thrill of the stock. But I'm I'm really like immersed in that moment where I'm not thinking about it. I don't feel the adrenaline too much, and then you know it'll definitely hit me after. Like uh, I stick a a good arrow in a buck, you know, then then I start to get a bit shaky and excited, and it kind of hits me as a wave after that. And so like I do a pretty good job of of keeping calm, cool, and collect and making good decisions and choices, but it's definitely like I need to get a stock or two under my belt before I'm operating like that because the first stock of the year uh, when I'm under that adrenaline or that dose of adrenaline, I just like I can't even put my foot down because it's shaking so bad. Like I'm just – my balance is almost off a bit. Like I, I'm just – I've got this like nervous energy and in that fog of adrenaline, like I'm just, um, I'm not, I'm not thinking as clearly or I'm not hunting as aggressively or making those moves. I'm almost like a, a, a bit shaken or second guessing my moves or, uh, footfalls are a bit shaky. Like I, I just have like this nervous energy. And so for me, it's just getting a stock or two under my belt. And then I start to operate as a pretty cool, calm customer. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I, I feel like almost that's uh, – <clears throat> I have this mentality, and I'm curious if you still do too. Like every time I go on a stock now, because I spent like six years stalking deer and not killing one, and it felt like every time now that you stalk, it's like everything has to go so perfectly. And like you kind of – you know, it's 99% doing everything right, but there's always 1% luck or, or more than that. I mean probably 10% luck. <laughs> That goes into everything you do, and uh, I wonder, do you still feel like like every stock you go on, like that, if there's no guarantees, or are there stocks that you go on that you're like, oh, slam dunk? Oh, you're spot on. I I love listening to to, to you talk about that, Jaden, because it's like um, it 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 is like as you as you stock, it it's like never a a, a slam dunk. And for me, like on my stocks. I have to do everything right, just like you were stating. Like, I have to take it so serious, no shortcuts. Everything has to go perfect. And so as I'm moving in, there's just, like, there's so many chances for that buck to catch you uh, that that I just, um, going on these stocks, I, I just have to be at my very best for each stock. And the moment I take it for granted or the moment – that, that I that I lose focus or I don't walk way down around this meadow because the buck might see me or you know I try to stalk in and shortcut the stalk or maybe like I've got a tree in between me and the deer but it's sparse branches and I go oh he probably won't catch me here he always catches me 
like a stock for a mule deer has to be perfect. And so like I'm adapting to the situation which I'm given, but I take every stock very seriously. Like when I get a chance, I, I really feel like this is my chance. I feel like I can kill this buck, but I feel like I have to do absolutely everything right. Like I have to be at my very best just to give myself a chance at that success because they're so good at catching me like a even a, a seasoned hunter like i can still screw up three four five stocks before i get it done on a hunt you know sometimes it comes together on the first stock or the second stock and 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 i make it happen but the the majority of times like like i've i've got to grind and so like every stock i have to take totally seriously and if i rush anything or if they're not in the right position um, you know, like that that early season hunt that I was telling you about where the cameraman and then we ended up killing that good buck. You know, I also found this group of bucks and tried to make like they were in a decent spot. It was evening. I had an hour worth of light and tried to move in. But as I tried to move in, they were in too rough and rugged country as I closed in. It was too noisy on the approach. And so I'm trying to be ultra quiet and move slow, but there's not many game trails. The whole hillside's loose. And wouldn't you know it, as I started getting close, those deer heard me approach and, and started staring in my direction. I stayed frozen. Uh, they ended up spooking out of there, and I don't think I ever closed in closer than 150 yards. Like, it just... The yeah. the conditions weren't right where I should have backed out, saved those deer, and then hunted them the next day. And I felt like I gave it like like almost a a, a half ass stock or like a almost just see if I can get close. But you really have to listen to the country and and adapt to the stock and know when you're making too much noise. Know when you when you're making an approach and it's too open. Like if those deer can catch you. 95 or 98 percent of the time they catch you so yeah like going into each stock i know i have to be perfect and i have to make absolutely all the right moves and, and i just can't throw hazard into the wind like anytime i try to stalk and it isn't right or it isn't perfect it falls apart on me and so i try to just be better at making those decisions knowing when to back out or knowing when to hold up and let uh, let the situation present itself like the longer you can keep the element of surprise these deer move around and so they're gonna move to a better spot or bed in a better spot or i know if i don't uh, spook this buck today like tomorrow he may bed in a better spot and then i can capitalize and so like i'm fairly aggressive at my plays but just knowing what i can get away with and what i can't and trying to draw that line a when to hold and then when to go all in. And and the better I get at that, the more deer that, that die from my arrow. But it's got to be perfect. <laughs> I love that. Oh, man, I'm so excited. Like, like, I hope everyone else who listens is, like, uh, getting as pumped as I am for this stuff because that just uh, – it just makes you so stoked. And, like, I all I want to do right now is, is be like, all right, Brian, like, let's look at Onyx and see where we're going to go this year. <laughs> it's so cool. Well, yeah, it um, just um, – it makes for the best interviews, like, when you, when you have two passionate people that love to hunt mule deer. And so, like, you love to hunt mule deer and you know the game and you love hunting 
it with your bow and arrow. And so like uh, when you ask those questions, like you're asking these questions that are so pertinent to to being successful or arrowing a great buck. And so for like me and you to sit down and have these conversations, we dive deep down the rabbit hole of, of muley hunting with a bow and arrow and stalking and and kind of some of these thoughts that that, that aren't talked about and some of these inner workings of how you're able to successfully arrow a buck, you know? And so, uh, Jaden, it just makes for like the best conversations to have somebody as passionate about it as I am, you know? Oh, thanks. And you know how it goes. Like, this is all, you, you know, if it's all you think about 24, seven, 365, like it just like, I, I, you're always like running through questions in your brain or like thinking about different things. And, um, one of those things that I always think about is um, I, I heard a South Cox podcast a few years ago. Obviously, he's a trad guy, so he's trying to get super, super close. Um, and um, he chooses his hunts based on terrain, right? So, like, he's, he's going to go and try to only stock – this is an example – only stock deer where there's ribbon cliffs that he can, you know, sneak up and, and, and look over and be 10 yards from that deer. Um is there a specific country that you just like you love to hunt more than any other? Oh, it's the it's the great thing about mule deer is they live in so many different habitats, and I think each and every different habitat sharpens your skills. Hunting the the desert, hunting the the badlands, hunting the the breaks, hunting the high country, hunting uh, a late season in deep snow and big mountains, like all that stuff sharpens my skills, and so. Like, I don't look for certain country. I look for where the mule deer live and try to hunt them there. Now, I'm definitely going to look for more open terrain as it suits me better for spotting and stalking and keeping track of these deer. So the more open country that I have, the the better my chances. But really, I'm taking the hunt to every place where mule deer live. And I'm adapting to the topography or ungulation that I see there. Like, these, these stalking... Uh, uh, skills or these 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 rules they universally apply to all different habitats from hunting the desert all the way to hunting the high country it's just using that topography using those ungulations staying out of sight getting the wind right like all these same rules apply to getting in close to mule deer and so I really like sharpening my skills by hunting a bunch of different habitats and and then I use this same the same basis or these same rules. And I, I do hunt, um, uh, uh, bucks in thicker country as well. Like, um, if I don't draw a high country mule deer tag, I love these Western states, the Nevada, Wyoming, Colorado, the Utah. Like I love hunting these Western states for these early high country hunts. But, you know, as tags get tougher to come by, there are years where I don't draw an early season high country hunt. And so when that happens, I'll hunt my home state of Montana, which isn't known for high country mule deer. In fact, it's taken me uh, uh, researching and, and backpacking in and scouting 10 different mountain ranges to find one where the mule deer really live in the high country like they do in these other western states. Now, Montana, they do grow big and they do grow heavy, but our high country is brutal. Our high country, like hunting the missions or the cabinets or uh, uh, the Bob Marshall or some of these places, it's giant big country. And the challenge with it is is the high elevation of those mountain ranges. They're almost like a coastal mountain range. And so they'll sit at 8,000 or 8,500 to the peak, not a, a, a 10,000 like Wyoming or not a, a 13,000 like Colorado. Mm -hmm. And the challenge is, is there's 
uh, more cover, more timbered pockets. And so I have to adapt my approach a bit. Like when I hunt high country in Montana, there's some great heavy bucks up there, uh, but it's not as open as terrain. And so they end up disappearing in the timber to bed for the day. And if I can't get an exact position on their bed, like I can't move in and try to hunt them in their bed, which is my preferred method in the early season. So what I tend to do is I tend to hunt them in their feeding features, almost like an elk or almost like hunting mule deer during the rut where I have to hunt them on their feet a little bit more because they're moving so much country and they don't bed down much. And the reason is, is because they bed in this thick cover where I can't see where they bed. So then my play is, is to set up like either where they're going to come out in the meadow and I think they're going to feed or where I can see them come out in the meadow and feed and then make a play on them there. So I have to adjust my tactics a bit, like hunting the high country of Montana. And so like I love hunting all these different habitats for mule deer as I really think it sharpens my skills. And you can find a great big one from the desert floor to the breaks to the badlands to the foothills to the high country. They live in all these different habitats. And so like I really like to sharpen my skills and go challenge myself to hunt in each and every different one and and try to come out on top oh i love that i love that there's like a whole string of questions that i had planned that you just like answered without me ever queuing it up i was like man i wonder what states he likes to hunt for early season man i wonder how he hunts the thick stuff and you just went through all of that that is so good i i always wondered because like like hunting the thick stuff man i just i always envision like oh you got a bedded buck then you're going to sneak in. And I wondered how you did that because like, it just seems so hard to, to get in there and, and make a move when they're on their feet. Um, how, how are you like, are you, are you trying to make sure that the, uh, the thermals are always blowing downhill and then you're coming up from the bottom in the morning when they're feeding or like, what's the, like, is there any rule of thumb to trying to get on these deer when they're, when they're up on their feet? Yeah, so um, Wyoming's a great example of that. With your yeah. season, like, starting September 1st, like, I love it when they're in that alpine attitude like that the first few days of the season. And it kind of changes when they move to that secondary living. But Wyoming, with the September 1st season, is, is it's almost inevitable that you're going to hunt them in, in their secondary living. Once they, the their velvet starts to shed, once the feed starts to burn off high in these alpine basins, those bucks will move. Uh, they move down a little bit, and they still live in that rough and rugged country that Wyoming has and avalanche shoots and openings, but they move down into the timber more. They use that timber more, use that cover more. They don't show themselves as much during daylight, but they still feed these little open parks and these little open meadows, and, and they're also getting ready for the, the rifle season, but it's one of the tougher places to go hunt them, so Wyoming – uh, I tend to use these same tactics because you just don't find them where you scout them in the summer. And it seems like earlier and earlier every year that food is burning off. So like by the time September 3rd, September 5th moves around, they've moved down more into this these this timber pockets in a way tougher place to hunt. And so usually my preferred method is still to spot and stalk. And so I find great vantage points that show off an immense amount of country in that secondary living and the secondary living it's like um it's just down a thousand or fifteen hundred feet from the top it's still rough and rugged country they're just not in the open alpine basins they're not bedding in the open as much they're bedding in more cover they're feeding little slivers or on the edges of meadows but i still find like these master vantage points and usually my preferred method is going to be to sit there and to watch them in the morning and then i'm trying to bed them but 
I don't see their exact position where they bed. Like I see the patch of timber they go into. And so mm-hmm. I've kind of got to put like the, the puzzle pieces together. You know, did they keep moving in that timber? Are they going to bed in that timber? Now, where do I think they're going to come out in the evening? Now, where can I set up in the evening to either be set up where they're going to walk out to me or I'm set up in striking uh, position or striking distance where then I can make a, a short stock to this buck. And so um, usually I'm going to uh, – tend to hunt these things in the in the afternoon so i'm going to watch them all morning long until 10 11 o'clock till they disappear into the thick timber and then i'm going to make my play and i'm going to set up and i'm going to wait until that late afternoon and evening when they come out and hopefully they come out in the spot where i think they do and um, i'm either set up or i'm able to make a quick play to get on them now as far as using winds uh you know the 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 thermals are going to change throughout, so when I'm hunting that afternoon, I'm ten. Uh, I'm going to have an uphill thermal. The other thing, the afternoon is the directionals come up, and when the directionals they they come up, it's it's a consistent win, and so. I'm just trying to factor all these things and trying to set up in a good position where I'm not going to give these bucks my wind. And, um, you know, wind is such a major factor, major component of the stock. And it, and I would say it's like this this higher understanding of the wind. It's like when you backpack into a place, I'm paying attention to how the thermals change each and every day. I'm paying attention to the directionals and, and uh, what time they're coming up, which direction they're coming from. And I can look on my weather app and uh, I can see the forecast that it's going to be a northwest wind today. And I know, like, I want to hunt the dominant wind side. So if I have a northwest wind or a north wind, I want to be hunting the north side so that that directional is blowing against it hard. What I don't want to hunt is the lee wind side. So I have a north wind hunting the south side. It's going to wash your machine over there. And, and so I just get good at, like, every day sitting on the vantage point, sitting at camp, hiking around – I'm paying attention to the winds and what they're doing. I try to have like this higher understanding. So then when I see a buck, because it's not like checking my wind checker from my vantage point and going, okay, I got this wind. I'm going to move in on this buck. It's almost like knowing how the wind moves through those mountains and trying to predict or call what the wind's going to be doing where that buck's at and what the wind's going to be doing for that afternoon or that evening and trying to put myself in like a good wind column where my wind directionals are not going to move towards that buck and I can count on it. Um, I also like the evening is a great time, like the last hour uh, those thermals, like the sun starts to shade the mountainside. It starts to go over the horizon. Uh, the hillside that I'm hunting starts to get shaded. Uh, that air starts to cool and starts to drop, and I get a downhill thermal. And this is like pulling a page out of my elk hunting book is I love hunting elk like the last hour of light because I get this this steady downhill thermal uh, wind, you know, and so like, like I try to play that downhill wind is pretty consistent and I just try to plan it out in my approach to sit in a good wind spot and, and then kind of know or be able to predict what the winds are going to do and move in. But I don't get it right all the time, but this higher understanding or paying attention to it, taking notes of it, you know, day after day of logging these winds and really knowing them, uh, uh, tends to play, pay dividends down the road when I do get a chance at a good buck. Oh, I love that. And, you know, it's one of the things that I've picked up maybe from some of your other conversations is to like, let that, let that wind get consistent. And like, if you can like, let that buck rebed and not just like rebed at 10 AM, but like rebed again at 1230, you know, PM and, and just like, wait until it's like, everything is as settled as could be. And, um, man, I, I'm curious, like, 
did you learn that from somebody or was that something that you just learned through the school of hard knocks? Yeah, definitely through the school of hard knocks. Like a uh, wind blows more stocks than anything else out there. And so like just trying to get it right or what affects the wind. Now in a classic uh a, a classic uh a muley stock or muley hunt, uh like I I love the early season trying to stock them in their beds because I know yeah. like that buck isn't going to move. I know where he's at. I can sneak into that position. And just like you said, like the the first spot that buck beds, it's uh it's almost like a trick. Like they always bed in good spots first, but the winds aren't consistent enough. Like uh, the the thermals really start to change and move around from this nine to eleven. And again, that it has to do uh, with the sun heating up the valley floor. It heats up that air. It starts to rise up the mountains, and then as it starts to rise up, it starts to get consistent. But but this wind it changes right around this nine to eleven a.m. And so these bucks will bed in the best spot, and by the best spot, I mean like they bed where you can see them uh they they bed in in fairly open country it looks like there's a good approach and it's almost a trick it's like uh you start moving in and the wind shift and all of a sudden you blow that buck out or you get there and the buck in this morning bed he isn't going to stay there very long so he may stay there for an hour or so but by the time you make it there he's moved you know the other thing is like the directional winds tend to come up in the afternoon and the directional winds are, are such an advantage, not for getting – well, for getting your wind right, one, but for covering your your approach noise. Like it messes with those mule deer's ears, and so when you have a 5, 10, 15-mile-an-hour wind, it, it hides your the sounds of your approach, so you're able to keep the element of surprise. So you're right. Like I want to – sit back and I want to watch this buck and he beds in the morning bed and I almost know it's a trick. It's like, uh, okay, he's in a good spot. Okay, I can get there. Okay, the wind seems decent here, but like I, I've just blown enough of those that I know it's going to be a higher percentage in the afternoon. So I just sit and wait and I watch and then, you know, I'll watch this, this mule deer get up, move to a second bed. And in his afternoon bed, they're more apt to like stay bedded for longer in the afternoon because it's hot sunshine. It's um, uh, They find some shade. You just know they're going to be there for longer. Then you have like the consistency of the thermal winds. Now on a hot sunny day, that's, what I, that's when I want to hunt a buck. Hot sunny day, the thermals move uphill and they don't change much because that hot sun is heating up that valley uh, air down on the valley floor that air is rising and it stays consistent now if you have overcast come in uh, that overcast can give shade to those upper mountain basins and all of a sudden that air starts to cool and starts to drop and so then you can have changing winds you know um, also if a storm uh, a rainstorm rolls in it's going to cool that mountain air it's going to start to drop and so I want hot sunny days when I'm hunting high country mule deer when I'm hunting mule deer really using these thermals and um yeah, I think to answer your question, it's just something that I learned throughout the years and, and learned hunting all species, learned hunting elk, learned hunting mule deer, uh, uh, any species that I, bears are great for wind because uh, bears are fairly nearsighted. They don't um, see real well, but they, they smell seven times what a bloodhound does. And a bloodhound can track like a kidnapped kid that, that 
gets in a car and drives down the road, a bloodhound can track where that car drove by the scent that comes out of the vents. And a bear can smell seven times what a bloodhound can smell. A bear can tell time by its smell. And if you ever bust a bear, it's most likely the wind that got you. And so you have to get really good at hunting the wind, you know. And so like hunting all these different species – I've just gotten to know the the winds, and I know how important it is to my success. And so, like, I've just really paid attention to it, taken notes, and how these winds move through these mountain range. And so, like, really, I've had to learn it, and it's a huge key to my success. And it's like the more I pay attention, the more successful stocks I go on. Uh, like, like the 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 more I know, like like the better I know these wins and how important they are to my stock. So it, it's just, it's been a, a learning endeavor for me, but definitely nothing I read or saw anywhere. Another uh, good trick I use is um, the windy app. It's this uh, red app with a white W and um, uh, you can pull up this app and you can zoom in on any topography where you're at and it'll actually predict the wind, the direction and the speed. And it kind of shows like how the winds move through the mountains. And so I'll use that windy app quite a bit. Like I'm looking at it each and every day of what the winds are going to do where I'm at. Now, uh, it's not exact, but it, it does give me a reference for what the dominant wind's going to be that day. But it, it it's just something that I've learned over time. And the more I pay attention, the more success I have. And so I just try to be like have this higher understanding of what the winds are doing, not just pay attention when I get a chance at a buck or when I get a stock on a buck. Like I'm paying attention each and every day, every hour, every minute, every place I'm at, I'm paying attention to those winds. Oh, that's so awesome. It's funny you mentioned that Windy app. I need to I, – I should be remembering to bring this up more often because you uh, – I heard you say that like a couple years ago probably, and it's been one of my favorite tools. Like I think it just – it is – even if it's not perfect to the day that you're going, like hunting in that spot, gosh, it just shows you exactly what you can expect and like what the predominant features are too. Like I'm looking at the Windy app now for a hunt that I want to do in Nevada because I'm like, okay, well, you know, is it possible to hunt the west-facing sides uh, in this area? Or like you said, does the wind come over the, the backside and it totally creates washing machine in this really good habitat? Man, that's such a good one. I, I uh, If there's one thing that people, like, pick up uh, physically out of this, it's like, gosh, that Windy app is just next level. Oh, man. Um, Brian, I, I want to uh, make sure to, one, like, you know, wrap up here in the next few minutes, but I also want to hit, get some like quick hitting questions from you. So this is kind of rapid fire. Sound good? Yep. All right. So when you stock, are you going shoes, no shoes, or some sort of stocking shoe thing? Gosh, that's a, you know, it depends on the conditions that I'm given again. Um, for the, for a lot of my stocks, I'm going to wear my shoes. Now I hunt in a tennis shoe and so I can really stock well in those. Uh, I have a hard time stocking in boots. Um, I would say I'm probably 60%, 60% shoes, maybe even 70% shoes, 30% Socks. I have used like a minimalist running shoe before for stocks, but it's uh, weight is such a premium in the backcountry that I don't end up bringing them that often anymore. For me, it's all about pace more so than the than the footwear I'm wearing. Oh, that's so good. Okay, so uh, you already mentioned it. Weight's so important. Are you wear, are you doing a full like tent with a liner, or are you running a tarp, especially in the early season? 
Oh, I I love a combination of both. I use a bivy tent. And um, so I, I use a, a, a bivy tent. The only reason I like a lining in it, bivy tents come in at about a pound and a half. And the ones that I really like have a mesh liner. In fact, this year I'm using the the um, uh, new one from Stone Glacier. They have an awesome bivy tent, and it's almost a modular system where at its minimalist, I can use a tarp for a half a pound. If I'm going to run into mosquitoes, like the, the reason I like a liner or a floor in it uh, is because of mosquitoes in the early season, uh, because of uh, mice that will run over uh, like like throughout my tent. And so like uh, for a bivy tent to get away with about a pound and a half is usually my go-to shelter. And I know like I can survive any storms that come in that way. And then also like uh, uh, I'm not going to get eaten alive by mosquitoes in some of these early season hunts. So that's usually my go-to. Oh, that's good. Okay. So you and I have both talked about, we, uh, you know, separately offline, we've talked about water issues. Are you a filter guy or are you a SteriPen guy? Um, so I used to be a filter guy. I'm now a SteriPen guy. Uh, it's just lightweight. It uh, ease of use. Um, the 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 filters seem to be a little bit bigger, and they're actually not as effective as a SteriPen. I actually caught, uh, you know, I've I've had Jardia once in my life, and it was. Uh, it was using a, a pump. See, there's just so many cross-contaminations that happen with a pump, and I have no doubt that the water that comes out of that pump is good. But, you know, like then you have uh, the, the the piece that goes in the water then goes back in the bag with, with your pump. There, there's so much cross-contamination that can happen with that pump. So I, I tend to use the SteriPan. I like it. It's lightweight. Like the only uh, challenges uh, – the only advantages of a pump is you it kind of cleans your water as you can get it, um, and also you can pull it out of like smaller seeps and things. Uh, but I've just gotten real good with like digging out places for my bottle, letting it clean up, using that SteriPen. So that's usually my go-to. Oh, sweet. I got to get one, man. I was with Lampers a couple years ago, and he ran a SteriPen, and I was like, oh, that's so nice. I usually just uh, do some tablets every now and then, but it's not it's not the same, man. Um, do you really like, do, so the minimalist, like little pocket rocket, or do you run like the bigger jet boil? I got one of those like giant tanks of a jet boil, like it's the MSR wind burner. And I'm thinking I need to do something different cause it's like twice as heavy as I need it to be. But what do you prefer? Oh, gotcha. Um, I actually switched to the jet boil train like a couple years ago, like it just for the, uh, it's so effective. Like those, the, the pocket rockets and those smaller ones, the tough thing is blocking the wind and you always have wind in the mountains. And so that wind makes it really tough to boil where the jet boil is like this contained system where the wind doesn't affect it as much as it heats the elements around it. And, and I think really that jet boil, uh, you know, it comes with the insulated pot. So like you have that and then the gas, the stove and the pot all fit in one contained system and it's highly efficient, highly effective. And so uh, I use that that jet boil system now. I had I used a, a Primus one for years uh, and and uh, it finally gave out on me like a, the seal between that and the gas gave out on me on a high country hunt. Uh, I've actually had two of those those Primus ones. Uh, they actually had a wind blocker that was built in that helped quite a bit. Uh, but but for me, uh, jet boil just seems to do the job. Effective, easy, fits all in that 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 pot that's there. Uh, it's all contained. Uh, it's just a great system. I, I like that 
that's my go-to. I, I like that. I got to I got to probably down downsize, but I I'll, I'll stick with it. Okay, here's the big one: fixed or mechanical. And I would love it if you kind of like talked a little bit maybe about what your choice is and how heavy your arrow and your draw length is and stuff. I think you and I are about the same size, um, so I think this will be really beneficial for me to hear, but then hopefully someone can translate it to them too. Yeah, absolutely. So I am a mechanical guy. Uh, I, I will shoot fixed where I have to like Idaho. Um, sometimes I choose to go with a fixed on, on bigger game like elk and things. Um, but, uh, the expandables the the deal is for me, archery is all about accuracy and, um, no matter what head you have on the front, it catches more wind than a field point. And so you hear people say field point accurate all the time. But the deal is, is like the, the, the bigger the blades are on the front of your arrow, they act like fletchings. And so they catch air as they leave your bow. Now, a perfectly tuned bow will shoot any broadhead well. But the deal is, is like the bigger the blades are on the front, the more finicky it's going to be and less forgiving it's going to be. And my archery motto and quote is all about forgiveness. Like that's what I live by, that if I make a small mistake, that arrow is still going to hit in the middle. And so throughout testing, like uh, I live in a windy place in Ennis, Montana, the wind blows every single day. And so I shoot in the wind a lot. And I get to see how the wind affects different broadheads. I get to see my group tuning and how uh, my groups grow in size from uh, uh, expandables to fixed. And so, um, you know, I get why people use fixed. It's like another thing they don't have to worry about and it's going to do its job. But but how I see it, it's all about accuracy and using expandables uh, I like to use like a, a small bladed expandable and expandables will still catch more air than a field point and still be a little less forgiving than a field point, but they're going to be way more forgiving than a fixed blade. And I have to, I hunt Idaho every year. And so I've really got to work with my bow and fixed blades. And, and I would say my effective range goes down with fixed blades a bit. Like they just don't fly as good. They're not as forgiving. Now I can still make good shots with them, but I just find that they're not as forgiving as an expandable. So for me, expandable, I get better groups. Uh, if I make a slight mistake, uh, my fixed blade may miss by a foot, but my expandable only misses by six inches. And so... I'm all about accuracy and using these expandables. Now, uh, I also think I have a better chance of getting this animal with a marginal shot. Now, for me, it's all about hitting lungs, heart, and liver. It's science. If I hit them in the middle, they die. So that's why I use this really super accurate expandable broadhead. Uh, but but I will say that if I miss my spot or if uh, the, the deer moves during my shot, I think that bigger cut like it, it is better, especially for like a mule deer sized animal like the expandables I'll shoot. Uh, have an inch and three-eighths cutting diameter, have an inch and five-eighths cutting diameter. Uh, you know, a fixed blade is only going to have an inch or an inch and an eighth cutting diameter. There's also more blade surface in that expandable broadhead. So if I miss my spot, if I miss lungs, heart, and liver, uh, I feel like, you know, through all the animals I've seen die through arrows, I have a better chance at getting that animal with an expandable doing more damage than I do a fixed blade. So I think that's another advantage of it. Now, as far as arrow weight, uh, it's a fine line. Like, um, uh, you want to get penetration and you want to get pass-throughs. You want to get an entrance and an exit. And so I want to shoot a heavy enough arrow 
that that really pulls through that animal and uh, get that exit hole. And so for me, like I shoot a 26 and a half inch draw length. So I give up so much energy to say somebody with a 30 inch draw length. For every inch of draw length, you pick up about seven or eight feet per second. So, you know, if a guy has a, a, a three inch longer draw than me, he's picking up 24 feet per second on my arrow. Uh, but for me, it's like, um, you know, I, I don't I don't look to get through heavy bone. I don't look like 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 my deal is I aim off the shoulder. I aim three inches off the shoulder for the middle of lungs. So if I'm I miss left, I still hit in the I still hit in the vitals. If I miss right, I still hit in the vitals like I'm looking for a forgiving setup and not that those arrows won't crush through a, a mule deer shoulder. But I just aim off that shoulder. And so, like, I want to get a good mix with my arrow that I get enough uh, kinetic energy or momentum energy to drive through that animal and push that expandable through. But the other side of the equation is range forgiveness. And so, like, the heavier arrow you get, the more momentum energy you're going to get. It's just the way the equation works. If you shoot a, a 600-grain arrow, it's going to penetrate better than a 500-grain arrow. That's going to penetrate better than a 400-grain arrow. But it's finding this perfect mix with this range forgiveness. And range forgiveness is when I hit a mule deer at 55 yards on my range finder, if he takes a couple steps and he's at 57 yards, I still want to hit him in the middle. So I want to have this range forgiveness of two, three, even four yards. The closer that he is, maybe my range forgiveness is even five yards. And if you go with too heavy of an arrow, you start losing this range forgiveness, where now if you don't have a range that's within one or two yards, you hit too low or too high and you miss that deer or hit him badly, even worse yet. And so, like, I try to find the perfect mix between uh, 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 momentum energy and then also range forgiveness at distance. And so my perfect arrow over the last few years, uh, I tended to land right at about 450 grains tends to be a really good arrow weight for me. Like, I believe... Like 425 to 475 is like right in the money zone and kind of where I tend to end up year after year. Now, I think you could even shoot a lighter arrow for mule deer, but usually my setup I'm hunting all different species with. So I've got to make sure that it's going to get through a bull elk and give me an entrance and an exit on it. And that's really like I'm able to really test my arrow setups with these elk that are that are a larger body animal and a lot tougher to get an entrance and an exit through than, a, than say, a mule deer. So for me, I want to pick one arrow that's going to get me through the entire season from antelope to elk to axis to mule deer everywhere in between and so for me it tends to be around 425 to 475 and yeah i've killed elk with the 400 grain arrow or 405 arrow but remember my draw length is fairly short too so i need to make sure i've got enough weight to to drive through that animal so that's pretty much my happy mix i like using a four fletch on them uh so uh, as, as you look at your arrow in the vein profile, like, like such a big thing out West is wind drift and guys don't factor it in. And I shoot in the wind every single day. Like even a small three to five mile an hour directional wind can blow your arrow a foot off target. And so like really trying to find an aerodynamic arrow that isn't going to wind drift too far. Uh, but it also has to have enough steering on the back to be able to guide that broadhead to its mark. And so I like using like a four fletch over a three fletch because it's got the same profile or wind profile. Uh, a four a four fletch or a three fletch it catches the same amount of wind because it's got that same wind profile it doesn't catch any more wind drift but a four fletch will give more guidance on your arrow to help 
uh, guide those fixed blade broadheads or even those expandables for that matter. So I go with a four fletch because it'll give me more steering and more guidance with no more wind profile to it. It's not going to wind drift any further. And then it's trying to find like the right size fletchings that'll guide a, a, a broadhead really well and put it in the place in the target where I want it, but also catch as little wind drift as it can. And I definitely, I like the micro diameter arrows. They catch less wind drift, small diameter. They also penetrate better because you have um, uh, like it's uh, less drag going through an animal push that broadhead through micro diameter arrow is going to be less drag it's going to penetrate farther so i love like these micro diameter arrows and then i love playing with these fletchings and this year i'm even playing with a little bit smaller fle uh, fletching that um is going to be a four fletch that seems to be guiding my broadheads really well even my fixed blades really well uh coming out of a well-tuned bow so might even go a touch smaller on my fletchings just to get like a more forgiving setup. So those are kind of some of my theories or thoughts like around fixed and mechanicals and around like my arrow setup and what I'm looking for. Oh man, that's such good information. I, I think Brian, I'm going to have to probably have you on a little later in the season when we're like super into archery, like, uh, like practice mode, practice mode, practice mode. Um, and we should, we should dive deep into it. Cause, oh, that's such good stuff. And then we're just scratching the surface. Oh man. Well, Hey, thank you so much for hopping on today. Uh, this has been like the, I, I've had some really great conversations with people, but you, you, it just is so fun when you click uh, and, and have like the same conversations or the same brave length in these conversations. And it's just as it's a pleasure to have you on, Brian. I just I can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your morning to to sit down and talk a little muley hunting with me. Oh, likewise, man. Uh, pleasure's mine. I really enjoy these conversations that we have. And that podcast where you came on Eastman's Elevated is a great one. So I'm going to continue to use used a resource as well to have these in-depth conversations because I think our audience gets so much uh, – uh, so much great content from it and so much great information that they can plug into their own mule deer hunting and, and make them better and shorten that learning curve. So, uh, yeah, I mean, um, whether you like it or not, we're friends for life, Jade. Uh, <laughs> all right, Brian. Well, and hey, anyone who's listening should go check out the Eastman's Elevated podcast. Brian, you do an excellent job with all the guests you put on there. And also, we both do a little writing for Eastman's um, and they've got this new tag hub um, subscription that helps people find out where they want to hunt and um, get tags in their pocket for next year. So you guys should all check that out too. Brian, um, your Instagram is at Brian underscore Barney. And if you guys haven't, you got to go give them a follow. But uh, thank you again, Brian. I appreciate it. Yep. Thank you, Jaden. All righty. We'll talk to you later. All right, guys. That's a wrap. Super fun conversation. Uh, really appreciate Jaden having me on. Uh, Going to keep in touch with that guy, have him back on the podcast here, and just trying to get you guys this pertinent information for Western hunting. And so uh, I, I'm really looking at the podcasts, podcasts that I'm dropping now leading into hunting season. And uh, just going to try to get you guys the best guess I can to have these in-depth conversations to, to hopefully help you on your path to success this season. Man, I can't wait. It's going to be fun. Um, man, I, um, I've got that, that moose tag in, in my home valley here. Uh, mule deer, elk, my season's starting to come together, starting to make plans for it. Uh, house is coming along nicely. Uh, I've got uh, pretty much uh, all the walls framed up. I'm going to pour some concrete on Thursday, some stamped and colored stuff. 
set some more posts and beams and then um, ready for trusses here in the next couple weeks. So uh, hopefully I'm going to hit my mark here, have my house uh, dried in, weather tight for season and um, be able to cut these legs loose and uh, go chase things with my bow and arrow. Man, it's going to be so fun. Uh, thanks again to our sponsors for today's show. Zamberlin, love their boots. Uh, love this new offering of shoes. I can't wait for this season to get after it. Um, I also want to thank um, Everly Stock Packs. Uh, again, a different pack for every different need uh, that I have. Um, using their Kite, Little Big Top, their Destroyer, and also using that Vapor Series a bit. So make sure to check them out. And uh, also Outdoor Edge Knives, uh, replaceable blade knives uh, that'll do the whole butchering process, razor sharp, uh, stiffer blade that'll hold up to the abuse of butchering animals. Uh, so make sure to check those guys out as well. And again, got some great beyond the grids hitting. Uh, that, that mule deer school will be out soon, I'd say, in the next two, three weeks. So I'll let you guys know on that. And... Um, yeah, we have that live event in Herber City, Utah at Fieldcraft Survival. That's going to be on the 20th of July. You can get your tickets uh, at Fieldcraft Survival. And then uh, we're going to be at Black Rifle Coffee Company the next day. And then um, I'll be flying back and, and uh, I'm going to do my buddy's wedding here when I get back. So we'll we'll do that. And um, yeah, just trying to get my work done and um, get everything ready for season. Uh, really ready to start scouting here. I've been at these... Um, at these summits here, this is this will be the third weekend this weekend, so uh, really double duty trying to work construction and do these summits uh, on the weekends. And uh, but getting in some great miles and some great shooting, uh, great high pressure shooting, 3D shooting. Uh, so it's just been amazing practice and uh, uh, amazing training, getting ready for hunting season. But I'm looking forward to starting scouting. So uh, as I get into July here, really going to be scouting hard for my hunts. Uh, I still got to get work done on the weekends, but um, going to get away for a morning glassing session. Or uh, I do have a mandatory take one day off a week, and I will spend that hiking the mountains and getting ready for um this season so uh super stoked for that we're gonna start that phase of uh hunting and it's coming up quick you guys i mean uh, we're a couple months away so it's gonna fly by uh, make sure you're doing all your preparation to set yourself up for success this season and um man with that um i better get to it here i've got a meeting this morning and um Got to go grab some tile, and uh, we got uh, concrete tomorrow. So um, keep getting things done. So keep working hard towards your goals, guys. Uh, hard work does pay off in the hunting world. So um, with that, I'll check in with you next week.